The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past and present. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy, and through this series, I'll be speaking to parents who chose to birth their babies at home. Join me and my guests as we hear honest and heartfelt stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this bonus episode, Julie Bell is back on the podcast again to share her observations about the rise of conspiracy thinking during this COVID-19 pandemic. She talks through her years of research into the far-right patriarchal fundamentalist roots of conspiracy theories and how they're fueling anti-vax and anti-public health measure concerns. There's some big topics in here, so go gently. And if you'd like more information, there's lots of links in the show notes for this episode, as well as there's also some sources for any statistics that have been drawn on uh, throughout the episode. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, Keep in touch on Instagram to let us know what you think of the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Julie. It's really exciting to be speaking to you today. And this time we're here to talk around the subject of vaccines and COVID denialism. I wanted to chat to you because I see you as having quite a unique standpoint when it comes to discussing these topics. You're a herbalist by trade, having spent many years developing your understanding of the healing properties of plant medicine. You're a home birther, a doula, a self-proclaimed non-vaxxer and a devout Christian. And you've also lived through the SARS epidemic in Hong Kong, amongst many other things. I think that you have a really unique standpoint and positioning when it comes to talking around this topic. So thank you again for coming on the show today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about yourself before we get started? Yeah, I just would like to say that I, I understand that everybody has a unique backstory that leads them to their point of view. And this is just mine. This, is, this has been my journey. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not sharing this to discount somebody else's viewpoint or somebody else's um, journey. And, you know, what I'm hopeful is that through, you know, some deep listening and actually hearing each other and recognising each other's backstory, um, instead of just like firing angry memes or whatever, you know, we can start a conversation that's going to be inclusive and caring of the fact that we are all under an incredible amount of stress right now. And there's some really, really big things happening and they're incredibly concerning. And the way that we process that and manage that is really unique and individual. Um, so I'm going to do my best to say, look, these are the pieces that are of the puzzle that I've put together. But I'm not speaking as an authoritative voice. And I'm certainly not speaking as I'm right, you're wrong, you have to think what I think. Um, I'm just going to do my best to honestly share my observations and my personal experience. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. 
Yeah, so I guess, would you like to begin by sharing a little bit about your perspective on vaccines prior to COVID and then maybe, um, yeah, just yeah. what you've observed changing in the last couple of years? Yeah, so um, as people will know, um, I've, I'm a mother of four children born at home um, and all four of my children are 100% unvaccinated. Um, so I was a registered nurse and I did my decision-making and my research about whether to or to not vaccinate based in, in the pre-internet days. So I, from my own experience as a nurse, uh, I was a paediatric nurse. That was my specialty. I was involved in public health programs for vaccination. Um, I read a bunch of books. I spoke to several GPs. Um, and then I spoke to other families who had not vaccinated and talked to them about how they managed these things. So those were the things that informed my decision not to vaccinate. Not This was all pre-Facebook, <laughs> if that um, provides a bit of perspective there. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm a herbalist, so I work with, you know, herbs and, and supplements for, you know, whole organism wellness rather than sort of as, um, specifically targeting a specific disease process. But I also think that I don't have an either or opinion. And I've grown up in, in a fundamentalist system where black, white thinking and polarized, it's either this or it's that. If this is right, that means that's wrong. Type thinking was quite rigidly embedded in, in, the, um, in that particular faith system. Um, and since then, I've really exited that kind of thinking and found a, a Christian faith that is really about grace and about becoming uh, responsive to love. And, and it's, it's really different. Like grace-based Christianity is just not, not like fundamentalist Christianity. But I'm grateful for the experience, though, because I recognize now the way that sort of thinking operates and the way that that, that dogmatic type thinking is actually um, coming from a place of fear. So um, because I was really, in, my children uh, had to decide whether to get the HPV vaccine. And that happened around about the time that I personally decided um, that because of my personal risk profile, I didn't want to have pap smears anymore. And I, you know, looked into that really carefully. And I guess like in the same way that I made personal decisions to weigh the risks and benefits of medical intervention for birth versus home birthing, I chose home birthing. So, and I'm aware of myself that I'm a risk taker. I risk, guaranteed zero risk, does not make uh, the way that I'm wired, you're right? Oh, yeah. The way that I'm wired is, is not the same as other people. I don't expect anybody else to approach their risk-benefit um, algorithm exactly the same as me. But this is how I did it. Um, so when it came to the HPV and, and the pap smear, I decided, no, I don't, my, I'm so low risk that I really don't need to do this. I've got other things in my cancer prevention kit that is, are more relevant to me. And I would never project that onto some, somebody else. That's just my personal decision. And the same with HPV. I, I did have some concerns. There was a lot of stuff flying around. So I thought, well, we've got a different approach to preventing HPV because of our particular faith um, approach. And so we're just not going to get that vaccine. So I hope that people would recognize that, okay, so I'm fairly... I've got fairly good crunchy credentials in that I 
you know, I'm not really for any intervention unless it's truly necessary. That's my basic standpoint. But on the other hand, I'm not puritanical or exclusive or there is never, never a right time for intervention. I'm not, I don't operate that way as a doula and I don't operate that way in my personal life with my personal health either. Um, so there was a group on Facebook and it was called Stop Mandatory Vaccinations. And I thought, well, okay, that fits with my ethos. Um, I definitely think there's a time and a place for vaccinations, but I don't think they should be mandatory. Okay, I'll join this group. It seems to be in my area of interest. Um, so if anyone who might think that I must have a screw loose for even considering not vaccinating my precious children, consider this. Um, if they hadn't been part of that group, um, just out of interest and rigorous scientific examination of a complex issue, I wouldn't have borne witness to what happened next. So late in 2019 and during early 2020, within this group, which is a massive group, like it had like 100,000 members or something, um, I noticed that there were more and more posts popping up that had nothing to do with health and quite a lot more to do with partisan politics, particularly American partisan politics. So um, I regarded Trumpists to be a bit like annoying mosquitoes all over social media. And since I'm not American, um, I just tended to swat them away and press on regardless to get to the content that I was interested in, scroll on by. Um, but then we started to get news of a novel coronavirus and that was eventually declared as a global pandemic. And that began to filter through in February and March. And I noticed that on this site and others, there were more and more posts that were not just about politics, but they were about conspiracy theories. And so measured discussion from, and very thoughtful discussion on vaccinations just became drowned out in breathless posts reporting the latest Q breadcrumb. And we were told it's happening and wait for the storm. And, and, uh, and so I was, you know, there to learn about vaccinations and I downloaded hundreds of really interesting scholarly articles and uh, actual case studies and so on about vaccinations. So I was, you know, I had gained really valid information from the site, but now I was reading about how Oprah's house had been cordoned off and that she was finally under arrest for uh, smuggling poor brown children from South America in tunnels under the ocean. And uh, we saw photos, actual proof of crime scene um, tape around Oprah's house and then we learnt that um, Tom Hanks, uh, when he was admitted to a Gold Coast hospital, that was actually just to cover for him being um, under house arrest for pedophilia. Um, and as an Australian, I, I found that a bit irritating because it implied that our country's news reporters are either a bunch of liars um, in cahoots with the deep state or they're a bunch of gullible twats. Um, and then we were told in this group that Trump is on our side and only pretending to go along with vaccinations until such time as he could bring down Big Pharma. So I thought, well, it takes all sorts. And um, I just scroll on by any, any posts that seemed a bit sort of unhinged. Um, but increasingly, I noticed... Sorry, Sorry, do you mind if I jump in with a question, which might not be the yeah. right time for this? Um, you can answer yeah. it later if you prefer. But I'm just wondering, why do you think that this um, infiltration was happening in a vaccination group? Like, do you think there's a link between um, kind of that interference and the topic of the group and the, maybe the type of people who are in that group? 
Um, that's really interesting because up till now, uh, in my several years in that group, I would never have been able to pick who was left wing in their politics and who was right wing in their politics. It would be impossible to tell. And so I saw that this was a really polarizing new type of rhetoric. And also it seemed really inauthentic and disingenuous. In other words, it seemed fake. It seemed too angry and too, what's the word, too volatile to just be people's authentic concerns. So, um, yeah, maybe if I just carry on and uh, I think we do need to examine um, outside undue influence yeah. um, actually driving some of this content because I definitely think um, there's enough examination of that to say, yeah, there was that was definitely going on. Yeah, sure. So yeah. Um, yeah, what I noticed was this, like a swarming um a swarming and a swamping type um, dynamic going on in this group. So um, it's kind of like what they call a censorship by noise, where they just basically drown you with this, you know, particular viewpoint, which is a really inflammatory viewpoint, and then stomp on you when you try to sort of like offer a rebuttal um, until the whole topic or the whole point of the group becomes quite hijacked. Um, so it's drowning out the previous sensible and measured discussions that we'd enjoyed previously, and the posters did not take kindly to any voices of dissent or caution. So um, you could just see this really sort of polarizing dynamic because you either loved Trump and believed Q, or you were pretty much Satan. Um, so for anyone anywhere who's ever been part of a cult or um, a really sort of ideologue type movement, um, any kind of fundamentalism, whether it's Christian, Islamic, Judaic, communist, fascist, or anything, red flag flags became waving. So for me, it wasn't so much the content and the fact, the factual, the lack of factual content or not, it was more the energy of it that set those red flags waving for me because I was like, I've seen this, I've seen, I've seen, I have sensed the spirit before. The disinformation kept coming and I realised that whenever humans are under stress and they're dealing with an unprecedented, remember how everyone was saying unprecedented, unprecedented, we're just sick of that word, an unprecedented situation and a novel virus that no one has definitive answers for. Uh, disinformation spreads rap rapidly. So what I noticed is the truth tellers will say, we don't know, we don't know. But the conspiracy theorists would say, we are all knowing. We know stuff that no one else knows. And well, that's impossible. That that's just not even possible when you're dealing with a totally unprecedented situation. So balanced, tested, and peer-reviewed information is not as salacious, and it doesn't spread anywhere near as fast as every alarmist post about 5G or the virus lab in Wuhan or Bill Gates and the takedown of the cabal. Um, so as a qualified herbalist, I started seeing posts in the group warning that elderberry syrup could cause a cytokine storm in COVID-19. So um, up till then, I've been hesitant to wade in on things that I don't know much about, but this is my lane. So I make elderberry syrup, as everybody knows, and I've read scores of monographs. I've studied the inflammatory cascade, and my gut reaction was, this doesn't make sense. How could elderberry syrup possibly cause an inflammatory cascade that's actually going to worsen COVID and kill people? 
So um, I began um, posting what I hoped would be helpful and moderating commentary from reputable herbalists such as Dr. Kerry Bone in Australia and Aviva Rom uh, in America. And what I experienced then is that the people gobbling up the Q breadcrumbs and resharing questionable but highly sort of uh, inflammatory memes appeared to be not so keen on reading several, 17 pages of careful scholarship and it doesn't quite provide the same buzz. So around about then I started, um, I, I happened to look um, at this documentary called The Social Dilemma and it was talking in there about how um, truth is boring and disinformation sells. And I thought, gosh, the fact is, is that disinformation and conspiracy theories is the next super hyper addictive product being marketed to a population who've already been groomed with marketing advertising to consume incredibly addictive products. So whether that's cigarettes or high fructose corn syrup or trans fats or um, opioids, this is actually the most dangerous product that has been intentionally marketed to a population that have been groomed to consume. I thought, oh, this is not looking good. Um, so the disinformation really started up and there was post after post claiming that coronavirus was not real, that it was deliberately manufactured, um, it was released on purpose, the whole pandemic was fake, it was a pandemic, there were no deaths, the hospitals were empty, um, and the government, and I thought, what, you mean all governments, um, were all lying. So basically uh, the viewpoint in this group was that every action that any government anywhere took as a pandemic management strategy was all just a ploy to wreck American capitalism and usher in communism. So I noticed uh, people in the group started to get impatient with all of this and they started leaving and more and more people were posting. Um, this used to be a great group for actually learning about vaccination risks, but never mind MAGA caps, you guys are all going for the tinfoil hats. And then the response would just be bye-bye and another flurry of cons um, uh, conspiracy memes. Um, so I commented in one post, I just suggested that if USA had universal healthcare, such as we enjoy in Australia and other developed countries, then maybe people wouldn't have to pay $3,000 for a coronavirus test, which is not really very sustainable when you've got a major pandemic on your hands. So the reply that I got to that was, go grow vegetables in Venezuela then, you commie. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's, a bit, that's a bit of an overreaction. And I realised at that point that the tone of the group had really changed um, from valid health concerns to an extremist political agenda. Um, then we had people posting that wearing masks is really just a ploy to end free speech um, and a symbol of being trauma bonded to authoritarian governments like a bunch of bonneted handmaids. Um, and then that ignoring physical dis distancing um, policies was a matter of patriotic duty. So now we're starting to, you know, in the same way that uh, like in Christianity, we saw it, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then you're not a real Christian and you're in rebellion against God. I was like, well, this is the same thing. You're saying, like, if you wear a mask, you're not being patriotic. So now instead of, like, um, godly or holy being that thing, 
that's used as a coercive thing. Now it's being patriotic that's being used as that as, as that coercive thing. Um, so this was all happening right at the time that doctors and nurses were beginning to experience firsthand just how deadly and insidious the virus could be. And I thought, oh, uh, uh, you know, it's a bit like uh, you can't turn away from watching a car crash <laughs> a little bit. I sort of wanted to stay in the group to see what would, ha would happen. But finally, I just thought, oh, this is not good for my mental health. Uh, I don't think I can stay and watch this. So in early March 2020, um, I warned that their stance of believing conspiracy theories and ignoring health policies, sowing division and spreading disinformation would take a horrible toll in, in America. People will say, well, why do you care about America? My husband is from America. Um, about 80% of all of the volunteers who worked with us when we were in China were from America. We have hundreds and thousands of friends and relatives in America. So, I, as a Christian, I noticed that anything that would go on in the church in America would overflow into the church in Australia, the church in New Zealand, the church in England. So, yeah, what happens in America does concern me, and I do have a stake in that. Um, and I thought, they're going to get a whole bunch of people killed. This is really dangerous. It's not just a matter of personal opinion. In pure frustration, I posted your individualism, your exceptionalism, your denialism and your sense of entitlement is going to get thousands of you killed. You deserve yourselves, which is not a very kind thing to post, but I was really alarmed at that point. And I hoped with all my heart that I would be proved wrong. Um, so in March 2020, there was no way that even in my worst nightmares that I... that I would have thought that all of this would result in nearly 700,000 dead Americans and a death toll that actually ex has exceeded the death toll they experienced during the Spanish flu pandemic, um, including people that we know. So people that we personally know who have either become extremely sick and it's affected their health or they have died. Um, anyway, after leaving the group, everything was pretty peaceful and I just concentrated on making a lot of elderberry syrup <laughs> and looking after my own family and my own customers. And, you know, we did the, the physical distancing and, you know, we work from home already. We like having the kids home from school because then I don't have to travel such a long distance. Um, so we were like, oh, yeah, you know, we can, we can get through this. You know, we'll, we'll weather it like we have so many other storms. Um, I'd already... Um, been through SARS in Hong Kong. So I remembered vividly, oh yeah, this is just like SARS. You know, we had lockdowns, we had to stay home, we couldn't go out, we had to wear masks. But you know, there was hand sanitizer absolutely everywhere. Um, and even years afterwards, um, people in Hong Kong would still wear masks in crowded places and on public transport. And it became sort of like a courtesy thing. You know, I'm not feeling very well right now. I'm going to wear my mask in public so I don't share the love with anybody around me. So a lot of these things were quite um, normal. And I'd also, um, as a nurse, I'd worked in orphanages in China um, where uh, diseases would spread like crazy through these orphanages. And I went there as a young nurse and I was just horrified. I was like, this doesn't have to be. So I actually did like training programs with the staff um, and shared everything that I'd been taught in New Zealand about um, infectious control. And um, as a result of just providing those skills, 
um, and implementing those, um, the next winter, no children died. So mm. I guess like when you see that, when you see how germs work and how infectious control measures work, um, and it's really clear, a lot of babies died this year, the next year none died. Um, I think like that definitely informs, um, has an impact on you and, and informs my standpoint. Um, but then, uh, in the same way that I saw this right-wing extremism take over that, just that one Facebook group, I began to see the same swarming effects in other forums and other settings. Um, and this sort of strategy of trying to make disinformation go viral across social media platforms. I was like, oh, so it's not just this anti-vax group where this is happening. And to my horror, I started to see quite mainstream, thoughtful and intelligent people falling prey to the disinformation social media bombing campaigns on social media. And then I realised that we were watching the infiltration of the alternative left by the conservative American far right. Um, and I've seen this before. It's too familiar. Um, so anyone who's come out of a cult or any shade of religious political fundamentalism would recognise these dynamics. So I thought, I want to see what's at the bottom of this. And I thought I'd go and do um, a little bit more reading. Um, so people would say, well, why does, you know, why should, it, why should anybody listen to my perspective or my opinion on this? And all I can say is the reason I'm so concerned and the reason that I'm bothering to speak out instead of just calmly going on my way and letting people believe whatever they want to believe, it's because they're not. They're not believing what they want to believe. They're being indoctrinated, and I've been there before, and this has been going on for decades. Um, so it's a divide and conquer strategy, not only by the alt or far right and their particular agenda, but possibly even the work of Russian operatives who know how to exploit the deep divisions in American society for their own destabilization aims. So I, I, I suspected that, but then I, I wanted to find out, is anybody else out there thinking this as well? So then I found out that there's this thing called um, fourth generation warfare, which is basically um, this attitude of like, oh, we don't need to bomb you. We don't need to invade you. All we need to do is meme troll you. Um, so there are actually Russian troll farms um, and fake accounts. Um, it is a type of, type of cyber warfare where they actually drop disinformation uh, and swarm it across social media to turn Americans against themselves. So instead of an outside force attacking and killing Americans, they get Americans to turn on Americans and kill and hurt Americans. Um, it's terrible, but, um, and it is, you know, what they call a, a PSYOP or a deliberate, um, like a, you know, disinformation campaign. And I definitely think that there's elements of that going on and I also noticed, like, as a, as a feminist, I noticed, gee, you know, interesting common denominator here, uh, and that is patriarchy. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I think that people would go, well, you know, you're sounding like a conspiracy theorist yourself, Julie. <laughs> um, and I would just recommend to you the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Uh, Google that one up. Um, so this institute is for powering solutions to extremism polarization and they examine 
all kinds of extremism and polarization from the left, from the right, from the secular, from the religious, uh, in different languages, in different countries. It's really an interesting site. So uh, they have examined um, inauthentic organized content online. Um, and they also have four COVID disinformation briefings. So I'd really encourage you to find the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and just read their content. Uh, and then I think you would be able to understand, um, you know, why I'm so concerned. And, you know, um, I guess, like, I've come to the viewpoint, I believe that the actual coronavirus is real. I've met it before. So the SARS um, epidemic was also a coronavirus, and this COVID virus is um, is is called it is called a SARS virus. So SARS stands for um, sudden acute respiratory syndrome. Um, and I remember in Hong Kong that people had this thing called ARDS, which was acute respiratory distress syndrome. It is not the same as the flu. It is not the same as pneumonia even. Acute respiratory distress syndrome is basically like almost like a drowning type thing that happens in the lungs um, when uh, there is a total overload of the in, um, of the immune system. And I remember um, people dying of that in Hong Kong. Um, and if you've ever seen that, um, so we didn't have any PCP tests or anything like that in Hong Kong. We had no testing and we had no vaccine. So diagnosis people who, who were getting sick with SARS and dying of SARS was based on this really, really telltale um, epidemiology and progression of the disease, including this ARDS. So, you know, people saying, oh, well, it's a pandemic. The whole thing is fake. There isn't even a coronavirus because all of these um, coronavirus tests that they're using, they're all fake. It's like, well, I don't know, like SARS-1, we didn't even have any tests and we knew that it was SARS and, you know, uh, so at that time, some doctors were speaking out and going, yeah, you want to come and see what this looks like. It's pretty ghastly and it's very unmistakable. Um, so particularly in the United States, um, especially in my community, people's minds have been trained in accepting delusion for many decades in advertising politics and, and religion. So remember how I said like the common denominator is patriarchy. If you read a book like Jesus and John Wayne or The Making of Biblical Womanhood or American Rule by Jared Yates Sexton, then you're going to see that this right-wing co-opting of the Christian faith has been going on in America for 40 years mm. and including, you know, all of my lifetime. And we've been watching this occur um, and it's basically, you know, my, my husband growing up in America, he used to say, if you're a Republican, then you're considered to be a real Christian. But if you're left-leaning or you're a Democrat, then, oh, you know, that's just like terrible. You can't do that. You, that's really unchristian. Um, and even as a, as a young man, you know, he could already see that um, the, the true gospel was, um, was leading him, if anything, in more left of center. Um, so as a Christian, I've got an insider's view of this fundamentalist thought that seeped throughout conservative Christianity. So if you can persuade your followers to accept that women must be uh, subordinated to the authority of men and that contraception is of the devil 
and that if you wear makeup or you have short hair, that means you're a Jezebel. Um, and it's really necessary that you must hit your children uh, and spank them in order to train them or that um, back masking in rock music is real. Um, if this is your normal, it's not that much of a leap to accept that the earth is flat, uh, that QAnon is, is the truth, that Trump is a man of God, that Gates is the Antichrist and that coronavirus is a pandemic. So to understand why would people latch on to conspiracy theories now, we've actually got to go back at least 40 years to see the roots of the way that um, good-hearted people who loved God and loved people got so led astray. So there's this um, cult expert called Stephen Hassan, and he used to be in the Moonies. And he's since become a psychologist. He now studies cult and cult dynamics for a living. And one of the things that he said that really stood out to me is that the way that people are drawn into cults or into cult-like thinking is because of love. They don't get drawn into that stuff because they're bad people or because they're stupid or because they're, um, you know, they don't like the truth or anything like that. It's actually what draws them in is love. And this is what I've seen in Christianity is that, you know, these people are genuine. They really, really love God. They love the planet. They love each other. They love people. They want good things. Um, and it's, it's really horrifying to me to see good-hearted people so systemically preyed upon over all of those decades leading up to an absolute debacle. Like, you know, I'm, I've got conversations going on on Facebook right now uh, where somebody has produced a, a T-shirt that says, Jesus is my vaccine. Okay. So when you have stuff like that going on and you say, listen, have you ever in your life taken Tylenol? How about when you had your babies? Did you have an epidural? <laughs> you know, um, it's really sad because what it's doing, it's taking people who really, really love God in a really genuine way and kind of steering them so that they think that if they go along with public health measures during a global pandemic, they are being bad Christians. And that's to me um, is incredibly sad. Mm. Um, so I hope that people say that again. I'm fascinated by what you're saying and particular, I guess, how things have transitioned more recently as obviously social media and the internet has just mm. absolutely taken off. And mm. I just finished reading a book called oh, yeah. Men Who Hate Women and it's by Laura Bates. It's absolutely fascinating if you can get through it, but um, pretty heavy. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting what you're saying about kind of the roots of that and the, the crossover being patriarchy. Um, that's a book that explores a whole lot of on mostly online um, different groups, basically male groups. 8chan, the Manosphere, the, the Manosphere, incel group. Yeah, the um, incels, <laughs> men's rights activists, all these types of yeah. groups online. The Red Pill. The Red Pill using this, the exact same techniques that yeah. you're describing exactly. of like online trolling and bots and yeah. organised targeting of swarming um, particular groups and and really, yeah. it's like it's full on online radicalization, and they're actually targeting, you know, specific groups of young men and going into, you know, like gaming chat rooms, bodybuilding kind of communities with lots of young men in a particular age group, you know, targeting and coming in. And there's actually, you know, like um, this woman, Laura Bates, sort of infiltrated some of those groups and was watching them over a period of years. And 
you know, there is active techniques and strategies and staged programs of radicalising people to believe things that are the mm. end goal by mm. starting with something small that can be played off, whether it's, you know, love for other people or it's fear of, you know, losing your own identity or or suspicion of the government or, or whatever it is. And, you know, mm. it's actually... I th- yeah, I think there's this idea that because the way that it appears is really random and <laughs> outrageous and kind of out of control. But, yeah, mm. fascinating to hear the cross, very similar things that you're talking about with conspiracy yeah. theories and vaccines and um, religion after reading that book that's specifically about patriarchy and, and men. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and the crossover is is even more relevant when you consider that... Uh, you know, you have these people who appear to be right-wing conservative boomers uh, with their QAnon T-shirts and their red hats and their MAGA signs. I wonder if they understand what the roots of QAnon are. So Jim Watson and Ron Watson, they, you know, Ron Watson, uh, Jim Watson got his got his start in um, pornography. So setting up porn sites to evade Japanese uh, government um, regulations so that so that he could set up porn sites that would uh, avoid any kind of regulation from Asian governments and is indirectly responsible for thousands of Asian girls being trafficked into into um, sexual slavery so this is like that's the father Jim Watkins um, then uh, Ron Watkins um, he was one of the guys involved in Gamergate so he got his start in the exact um, online ecosystem that you're describing where, mm. you know, misogynistic attacks towards other women online. So, you know, he was involved in so much of that stuff. And so this father and son team cooked up QAnon. And I'm like, how can QAnon be the fount of all wisdom and truth and morality when it shares its platform with only one other webs- website, which is called the Stormer, which is basically an imitation of the Du Stormer, which was the Nazi Party newspaper from the 1930s. It's like this is a neo-Nazi website. So you've got guys that have got connections with neo-Nazism and with pornography and with pedophilia and with sex trafficking and with online organised misogyny. And and not just (laughs) online, like resulting in real world violent attacks and killings of women and mass mass killings you know yeah and you know it's like you've got these people who are not very computer literate perhaps of the sort of like my generation and older than me um and believing that QAnon is the voice of truth the voice of revelation the prophetic voice the one that's telling them the real truth and the one that's standing up against the evil and standing for good and for righteousness. And I'm like, I'm horrified. If only they understood, you know, what the actual roots of this was. And, and so I think that's why like, I, I began to see there's a common thread here. So whether it's, it's Islamic fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism, QAnon conspiracy theories, or this sort of like, Russian let's implode Western democracies and destabilize uh, Western democracies and uh, delegitimize all of their institutions and turn them against each other. There's a patriarchal agenda across all of those different sort of threads that weave in together. 
it's important to understand all those big powers at play and influences that are happening. But, you know, I'm seeing that in my friends and communities kind of latching onto parts of that, but not, not associating with the with full-on conspiracy theories but really consuming the the more acceptable lower level content that's coming from that place i hope that more people who value critical thinking will realize that the current conspiracy theorism and coronavirus denialism that we're confronted with now actually has its roots firmly in american christian fundamentalist patriarchy movement uh, and then you've got a little bit of an alt-right sort of Second Amendment white supremacy and misogyny and racism in the mix there. But then they deliberately targeted the alternative left. And uh, the, you know, they've been bragging. If, if you go, you can actually find them bragging about how successfully they've infiltrated the new age alternative lifestyle community. So the common ground between those two strange bedfellows is the issue of vaccine choice. So you know, like I sympathise because I researched all of this before the internet um, and moderate people have worthy and valid concerns about government or corporate corruption or monopoly. Um, and these do have to be addressed. I have serious concerns about neoliberalism myself. But civil unrest is not the answer. So the extremists who are currently de deliberately curating dissension, they're not on the path to truth, liberty or freedom any more than ISIS was. Um, so what we have is they're accusing like this is the sort of like the fascist playgroup where you accuse a moderate government of overreach and of being authoritarian in a time of crisis for example with Hitler it was the time of crisis was uh, the Great Depression and the fact that Germans were being very hurt by the um, the war reparations so they had a justifiable sense of grievance so what he did was remove the moderate government, uh, accuse them of corruption and all of those things, and he presented himself as the saviour of the people who was going to make Germany great again, and it was going to liberate them and give them freedom from all of this oppression and unfair authoritarianism, and uh, was going to save them from um, the evil cabal of powerful people who guess what turned out to be predominantly Jewish right so he there, there were Christians in Germany at the time who truly believed that the right and Christian thing to do was to support Hitler so when you have a moderate government that is being judged as authoritarian because they're trying to take do their best to take care of a population during a crisis like World War II or a global pandemic. That is a time when extremist forces will try to um, they sort of co-opt uh, or exploit the crisis to push their own political agenda and say, we are the ones who will save you from this authoritarianism and lead you to liberty. And, um, you know, we are the true freedom fighters. So another time that that occurred was during the Ebola pandemic and the extremists that exploited all of the anxiety and the concern and the not knowing and the uncertainty that's swirling around the Ebola pandemic was actually Islamist fundamentalist extremists. So this is a like this is something that that goes on. So for myself, like you know, I I sympathise. I 
I don't think that forced mandatory consumption of any monopoly product is a good idea. Um, I think that the neoliberalist corporate undermining of democracy um, is not good. Um, I think it's resulted in a lot of um, corporate overreach, uh, environmental rape and dis destruction, and it's caused a lot of social and economic um, inequality. So the fact is we cannot look to the Nazis to get decent roads built. You know, like people have valid concerns about whether vaccine mandates are really the right way to approach this. But we've got, we're being pulled backwards and forwards between extremist positions that don't make any sense. Okay. So for me, I would like, let's establish some facts here. Um, you know, the coronavirus is a real thing. It is a novel virus and nobody has immunity to that. It may eventually become endemic. We may eventually develop some kind of immunity to it the way that we have with the flu. But when governments are trying to figure out how to manage the pandemic in order to minimise um, mortality and morbidity, that's not authoritarianism. Yes, we're having a miserable time because of coronavirus, but that's not happening because of political authoritarianism. That's happening because COVID sucks. Mm. Um, and choosing to get in bed with a bunch of right-wing extremists, especially when you've got enemies of the state who are actually communist, um, deliberately trying to exploit that in order to wreck your country, it just isn't a good plan. Um, and I think it's also just worth considering the fact that conspiracy theories thrive in times of crisis and uncertainty. So it's, it's a natural human response um, to feeling really insecure, to the uncertainty of not knowing and having a lack of control. We feel everything feels so out of control. So just looking back in history, conspiracy theories in times of crisis, we have got quite a well-established track record of this. So during the bubonic plague um, that was caused by Jews poisoning the wells. Um, so during cholera, they, it, it was believed that doctors fabricated the disease in order to kill patients for body parts and to cull the poor. So it was um, a classist thing apparently. So uh, during smallpox, there were conspiracy theories that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And in Christian circles, yeah, well, I've seen that. I've seen coronavirus, be con uh, the coronavirus vaccine being considered the mark of the beast. But that's a conspiracy theory that's been regurgitated from 200 years ago. <laughs> um, also that smallpox is poisonous and that the vaccine does not, uh, that the smallpox vaccine is poisonous and that it doesn't work, it doesn't present, prevent the disease. Um, so during this, the Spanish flu, um, it was believed that that was a bioweapon invented by the Germans. So during AIDS, there was a lot of um, conspiracy theories too, that it was created on purpose by the CIA to wipe out homosexuals and African-Americans and for profit. The idea was invent a disease, then invent a drug to treat the disease and make billions of dollars. Um, so during SARS, that was really interesting because this time 
uh, the conspiracy theory was that the virus was man-made and it was created for biological warfare by the United States against China, other way around this time. Um, Ebola, the theory was that the disease was again fabricated, that it was a hoax. Yes, we've heard that this time too. And that the vaccine makes people sterile. And we've heard that this time too. Um, and then with Zika, uh, that also had conspiracy theories that um, it was caused by genetically modified mosquitoes and it was created by pharmaceutical com uh, companies to create demand for a profitable vaccine or drug. Mm. So that little journey through history, yeah, it just kind of shows that conspirational thinking is something that we do tend to cling to um, when we're feeling stressed and anxious and uncertain. Um, so having said that, I don't want to dismiss people's valid concerns about vaccine side effects. Can I just jump um, in and for a second, Julie? Um, sure. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing you lay out, you know, very succinctly, um, you know, those, those episodes and the conspiracy theories relating to them. And it's obviously it's it's quite clear in some of those instances to see the type of fear and the existing problem that's being led to that whether it's there's obviously the, a real fear or an underlying cause of tension or inequality that can lead to those things and I think that that's an important kind of thing of understanding how people get to a point where they can be radicalized or made made to believe something which seems really outrageous and we're not really used to, or in my generation especially, I've never lived through a war or a famine. And so I've lived my life with this massive degree of privilege and opportunity and access to a whole lot of things. And it feels like oppression when I don't have access to those anymore. That is something that makes people more susceptible at this time, particularly in my kind of age group and my demographic. I can mm -hmm. see so many people who are like me feeling that they are being oppressed by a dictatorship. And mm -hmm. to me, I just see it as just actually never having experienced anything like this before and mm -hmm. um, it, it feeling really uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, I think people, I think it's our nature to feel resentful when we perceive that a certain group of people have more power than we do. And it feels sort of um, out of balance and um, inequitable. But the problem is, is that when you're dealing with um, a real crisis, even like my experiences, um, like evacuating during the bushfires, you know, we had uh, police and um, uh, evacuation centre officials and they were, they were behaving in an officious way. But when the danger is just so blatantly imminent and you've got police shouting at you to do this or do that or go there. It's like you're, because the threat is right in front of your face, you're convinced that they are actually doing it in your best interests and that they're not just being bossy or overbearing or authoritarian for no good reason. But if you can persuade a, um, a whole swathe of your population that the coronavirus is not even real, or that the number of deaths are exaggerated and they're being um, uh, deceitfully reported. And this is what Americans were believing, that the hospitals were empty and that um, the number of uh, deaths that were being reported was all lies. So if um, 
the, the effects and the impact of the virus, what we feel in our real life is the miserable effects of the lockdowns. And we're all looking around. There's very few of us who can honestly say, I know somebody with long COVID or I know somebody who's died. I mean, it just so happens that we do because of our contacts in America, but I don't know a single person. And I do not know a single person among my personal contacts here in Australia who's been affected, um, who's gotten sick with COVID or died. Mm, you know, so know therefore, <laughs> yeah. And if the threat is not in your face and only the miserable results of the mitigation effects are in your face, it can be really easy to become resentful and feel that there's a sector of society that have way more power and agency in this than you do. And I think that's, um, you know, that's uh, really difficult for people. But all I can say is a bunch of right-wing extremists that are veering, you know, fast towards fascism are not going to be your saviors. And you think this is authoritarian? Wait till you see what they've got in store especially for women, it will be real authoritarianism. It will be real fascism. It won't be stay-at-home orders uh, and mask wearing during a pandemic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess that's my concern. Um, I do sympathise with, with people's um, issues around not wanting to mandatory vaccination. Um, but if, even if you just look at these protests here in, in Melbourne, um, you've got a bunch of people with valid concerns saying, we don't think it's fair that you should uh, mandate vaccines in our building industry. And then you've got the actual leaders of the unions going, oh my gosh, you know, Lizzie Rose, QAnon Karen, is absolutely not a member of our union. Uh, what the heck is she doing there in her bright new shiny $2 high viz uh, giving interviews uh, to the cameras you know, what's she got to do with the building union, you know, uh, and, and pretty irate that um, what is happening is that the valid concerns of actual builders who are going, hey, this isn't fair. We've all gotten vaccinated. We've all done the right things. And now our, our industry is hurting. We've already suffered so much. This isn't fair. So that whole conversation is getting completely swamped because their movement has been co-opted by a bunch of people who have a political agenda. And they're using the actual valid COVID concerns and vaccination concerns to push a political agenda, which is not going to lead society to a place of peace and harmony and happiness at all. Okay, that is not the highway to freedom at all. And we only need to look back in history. You know, that's like believing that ISIS and the Taliban are going to lead you to freedom and throw off the evil oppression of the Americans and, you know, Western culture. It's like, nah, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I really do want people to have vaccine choice. Um, but for myself personally, um, uh, like I said before, my, the balance is, is there is a time and a place for medical intervention. So, you know, I do everything I can to support a natural birth. Um, but I don't want any client of mine to ever feel like she's failed or she's done something wrong in she does need to access some medical help. And I feel like this is a time in history yet where accepting medical intervention is the wise thing to do. So about, in my family, I would say about three quarters of us have already received one or two of the vaccines. For myself, I'll probably wait until the Novavax comes along. 
So for me, like, I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't like to put anything artificial in my body. But now, when it's necessary, is something I need to sort of like readdress my priorities. And that's how I feel about getting vaccinated for COVID. Um, it, it really comes to a point where I'm like, actually, this is the wise and responsible thing to do. I'm not going to do it for political motivation. If anything, it's my sense of empathy and caring um, that leads me to go, yeah, this is, I should, I probably need to do this now. Mm. So what about you, Indy? Have you, have you received a vaccination? I haven't yet. I'm booked um, for the end of the month to have my first vaccine. I've tried to get it sooner, but um, it's pretty hard to get an appointment around here. Um, yeah. And I was, I was hesitant. I grew up, um, I wasn't vaccinated as a child. None of us were. And I think, mm, I, same had, my family. I think I had my first vaccine. I think maybe I'd had a tetanus after an injury when I was a child once. And I mm. had my first vaccine that I chose when I was 18 and got hit by a rusty tractor with a puncture wound on my leg. And I um, lived in a really remote community. I chose to go in and get a tetanus booster after that. Um, but yeah, I've always been pretty on the fence about vaccines. And I think, um, you know, I ride on the sacrifices or the kind of the, the work of the vast majority of people who are vaccinated and keep all those things under control and that it's more historical a lot of them I think um, mm. eradicating kind of major prevalence of specific diseases through vaccination has really worked over the over our vaccine history so I'm on an individual level we're lucky to be able to pretty safely make the choice not to vaccinate which is what I yeah. pretty much done up until now um, but I do believe in vaccines I think yeah, one of the reasons, the main reason that I'm choosing to get vaccinated is because of my broader ideas about collective care and collective responsibility. I have, you know, I have a lot of, we throw privilege around a lot and we throw it in people's faces yeah. anytime yeah. they complain or anytime they want to make a decision that you disagree with right. or anything else. But, but regardless of that, um, I do hold a lot of privilege and I think that one of the only ways of addressing inequality as I've mentioned to you before is by people who hold pri privilege relinquishing that to those who have less and so for me part of getting vaccinated is an acknowledgement of the fact that I live in a really healthy body um, and I don't have any major medical concerns and I have the access to a great medical system and care and I know that I can fall back on um, care in the hospital if I need it and and all of those things and my general health I don't personally feel super frightened of getting COVID um, and and I think for me getting vaccinated is partly it is to do with thinking about the people who don't have some of those things whether it's someone who has and, and I know and I acknowledge it's really rare to have to be in a medical position where you can't vaccinate but there is some people who can't yeah, and also thinking about, um, I've been thinking of a lot recently, which again, I mentioned to you earlier about seeing a, on social media. Um, I follow quite a lot of different First Nations people on social media and seeing kind of the sort of two different approaches, main approaches that I've seen there. And I don't want to speak for um, those individuals or communities, but I think that there has been a very justifiable fear from some people in the Aboriginal communities around Australia about vaccines and 
I, yeah, feel very strongly about that because they have a history of, of yeah. colonisation and genocide and medical interventions deliberately to cause harm and, and death and poisoning of water and poisoning of supplies that are in, given as a gift and, and, and also obviously the huge gap in, um, you know, medical access and outcomes in our current care system. So for me, I think um, that white Australians have a responsibility to get vaccinated to high levels to protect those communities and to allow individual First Nations people to have choice about whether they engage yeah. with um, the vaccination program. Because I can see that there is a, a reason not to vaccinate or to be highly suspicious of getting vaccinated that's far more justifiable yeah. than anything that I can see for myself. And, and obviously everybody feels differently about that and I'm not projecting that onto all, um, all Indigenous people, but I... Yeah, I'm aware that there's a portion of the community that feels that way and, and amongst many other reasons that I'm getting vaccinated, um, trying yeah. to be one of the, you know, 90% or 80% vaccinated population in Australia that we would need to be able to get to herd immunity and protect those communities um, if they choose not to vaccinate is, is a major one of those reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I relate really strongly to that to India and that's that certainly um you know when I when I began to notice that COVID was spreading like one of the the first things that I thought was like we cannot let this get into remote indigenous communities mm. um we've done things like this before we cannot let that happen again I don't care how long this lockdown is I just want to look after them um I remember you know distinctly feeling that last year and it's definitely one of my motivations um in consenting um, to be vaccinated. I feel completely fine in myself. Like you, I'm extremely privileged. My health is good. My immune system's good. Um, but I know people who are, you know, who, whose health is vulnerable. And I don't want to be involved in passing on a mild illness that might be a mild illness for me to them. You know, I know that um, even on my Blissful Herbs Instagram, um, I had a conversation about the side effects from the vaccines and I think it was, it's not um, an irrelevant concern it is important but let's just look at the big picture here we've got four in this global pandemic so far we've got four million people who've actually died from COVID and many tens of millions more who are now dealing with the long-term effects of long COVID so um, in the United States, they have given nearly 400 million vaccine doses so far. Um, and out of that, uh, I don't know how many adverse reactions have actually been reported, but there are 5,000 vaccine-related deaths reported out of those 400-odd million doses. So the problem is, is that the reporting system that they have is that it's not actually possible to discern how, how many of those 5,000 vaccine-related deaths were actually caused by the vaccine and how many were coincidental or wrongly attributed to the vaccine. That actually hasn't been sorted out yet. Um, but at any rate, that's the figure that they have for now. In Australia, we have done 19 million doses of the vaccine so far. Um, we have had just over 1,000 COVID actual deaths. Um, we've had about 460 
reported incidents of adverse reactions to the vaccines and we have had 10 vaccine deaths. So that's people that have actually passed away um, shortly after receiving a vaccine and it's strongly sus suspected that the vaccine had something to do with their passing. So these things are real. I know of one person personally who um, had a negative um, adverse reaction to her vaccine um, and that's affecting her eyesight. And I certainly don't want to trivialise her experience or anything that she's going through or trivialise the fact that vaccines are not risk-free. There are risks associated with them. But the problem is, if we believe the disinformation that the COVID virus isn't real, that the whole thing's a pandemic, that none of the 4 million COVID deaths really were COVID deaths, um, they jumped out of an aeroplane without a parachute and, and then the, the death was attributed as being from COVID, you know, which is the sorts of claims that you see on social media, then these vaccine adverse reactions and deaths are not justifiable. Mm. But that's only the case if COVID is not real. I think that denying that COVID is a thing at all is because we just don't want to face the harsh reality that we are in crisis, that there's some pretty serious things going on and that is very anxiety reducing. But denialism is not the way through. Um, it's a coping mechanism, but it's an unhealthy coping mechanism that leads us to places um, that are not going to be as healthy as facing up to the truth that we really do have a pandemic on our hands and we need to find the balance between how to minimise the impact of the actual pandemic and how to minimise the negative impacts of the pandemic measures that we choose, whether that be masks or lockdowns or social distancing or the use of vaccines, as well as the risks and benefits of all of the various different therapeutics. Mm. Um, so there are, you know, a number of different therapeutics out there. Some of them have far better evidence to support their use than others. But this tendency, again, I've noticed this more in America than here, to, to, to light on a particular therapeutic and to see it as the magic pill and the magic cure for the crisis, such as ivermectin. Mm. You know, I've, I'm really familiar with ivermectin because we've used it in Asia for eons. <laughs> You know, it's really good for scabies and lice and parasites and all sorts of things. Um, and there is still ongoing research into whether ivermectin could actually be a useful therapeutic. There's some of the research that's come out strongly in support of it was corrupted. It was completely dodgy. We should not trust that. It's ridiculous. The frontline doctor stuff is ridiculous. It's like it's obviously a bogus study with a political agenda behind it. It's blatantly obvious. But there's a new trial called the Principal Trial, which is coming out of Oxford, England. And that's a really well-constructed trial. And I'm waiting with bated breath because they may confirm that ivermectin is indeed um, effective. I'm really, really curious to see the results of that, uh, the Principal Trial. It is reasonable to expect that our health authorities should follow the evidence. We cannot tantrum on social media and try to bully our health authorities into following ideology instead of scientific evidence mm. you know that that's not going to work and i see i see a little bit of that going on and you know i understand that people have um 
you know, huge skepticism and doubt, you know, uh, big pharma, as we call it, has, has um, screwed us over before, you know, why should we, why should we trust them? But by the same token, it's nonsense to assume that everything they say and everything they do to try to take care of the majority in a time of abject global crisis is all lies and baloney. We therefore cannot trust a single thing that they do or a single product that they try to present for the mitigation of human suffering. So, you know, yeah. by all means, be technical and by all means, you know, look into things really carefully. And I respect vaccine hesitancy. But having said that, the fact that there is cons deliberate, orchestrated, conspirational stuff being swarmed at us, that's real as well. Mm. Um, so there's like seven traits of, of, of a conspiracy theory. So how can you spot it? How do you know what's real and what's not real? Um, there's a handbook um, that somebody did and that there's seven characteristics that they, that they uh, look for to see if something is a conspiracy theory. One is contradictory beliefs. Um, the second is an overriding suspicion of the official account, which is what I said is like anything that the government says, anything that the MSM says, the mainstream media says, it's all wrong. You just know that just because it came from the MSM, it must therefore be wrong. That's the kind of thing they're talking about, overriding suspicion. Yeah. Um, the third one is nefarious intent, that there cannot possibly be benevolent intent in um, vaccinate, doing a mass vaccination campaign. There must be nefarious intent. Then there's the fixed belief um, that something must be wrong. So you see, yeah, really see a lot of that in the QAnon conspiracy theories that, um, you know, if a, uh, if a ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal, um, it's actually Hillary Clinton um, trafficking um, uh, children for pedophiles, you know. So yeah. you see something like um, the ship got stuck in the Suez Canal because it was captained by a woman. The only problem is, is that it wasn't and there was a ship that was captained by a woman a hundred kilometers away but it wasn't this ship <laughs> oh so but something must be wrong there's this uh i noticed that um i was being sent conspiracy theories at the time of the bushfires in australia and the something must be wrong belief um it was like have a look at where put this high speed rail through um, all of the bushfires occurred exactly where they want to push through this high-speed rail. I was like, oh, really? But then I found the exact same meme against a map of California <laughs> making the exact same claims. I was like, okay, yeah, but something must be wrong. Um, the, fifth, the fifth dynamic is the persecuted vi victim mentality that, you know, we are, um, you know, you know, oppressive overlords are, are, are doing authoritarianism against us. They don't actually, you know, trying to get through the pandemic um, the best that they can. And yes, they will make some mistakes and yes, they may be overreach and yes, they may, they may uh, not be balanced at times. No, we are the persecuted victims of deliberate, you know, acts of oppression. Um, the sixth one is immune to evidence. And that's one of the things that I've seen um, which is really sad is that even when you do present information and truth and evidence and data to them, it's a really fixed entrenched belief and they, they can't be budged off it. It's almost like 
if you try to convince them that QAnon isn't real or that the election wasn't actually stolen and that the Dominion voting machines weren't even uh, an issue, um, then there's a whole lot of other little house of card beliefs that will have to tumble down. So they'll cling hold of this one belief, you know, really, really tightly, no matter how much evidence you show them from all of these international watchdogs that the um, US election was not stolen, they'll still cling hold of it. Um, mm. And the other one is reinterpreting randomness. Um, so once again, it's like not being able to accept the mystery and the chaos and the absolute lack of control that we all actually really have. Mm. Uh, there's got to be some kind of orchestrated, deliberate thing. Uh, you know, this international cabal and the new world order and that sort of thing. That uh, it, it, it kind of like the belief that we don't have any control, but there's somebody out there who has all of the control. When in actual fact, you know, I am extremely unimpressed with um, dick ships in space. Um, I think it's absolutely disgusting that people, individuals can afford that um, when, you know, there's trillions of dollars of student debt and medical debt in America. I just like, oh, it's obscene to me. But even those guys don't have the level of control. Bill Gates doesn't have anywhere near the level of control, control that we'd like to think that he does. Um, he's subject to the randomness of the universe as well. So mm -hmm. the sense of certainty and absolutism that conspiracy theories offer, you know, that they, that they know they're so, you know, all knowing and they have superior revelation and they're much more woke and they've woken up and they see the real picture. Um, and that can be incredibly attractive and far more alluring than a bunch of public health officials that are tripping over themselves and changing their minds every other day. So and that's, you know, they've got a really hard job there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it would be nice if they could just come out and say, um, you know, the vaccine is 100% guaranteed, safe and effective. You don't need to worry about anything. Well, that would be stupid. They'd be absolutely lying mm. if they did that. And they cannot do that. Uh, but then they've got to deal with, um, you know, uh, the fact that the population they're trying to care for is going to be influenced by rhetoric that says that the vaccine is poisonous, that it's got, that it's got a microchip, that it's um, making people die, that it's making people sterile, that it's affecting people's menstrual cycles, um, that it's, uh, you know, all sorts of like, you know, disturbing stuff some of which there's a snippet of truth in there, a lot of which is grossly exaggerated or even deliberately untrue. Um, so it's, you know, it's really difficult for the moderates to hold the line when people are exploiting people's understandable anxieties and concerns and frustrations for a disingenuous agenda. Mm. So something I have seen a couple of times each lockdown is this idea of the consequences of lockdown on our mental health overall yeah. well-being being worse than um you know the consequences of well they don't even really describe what the other side is but basically just we shouldn't be in lockdown because it sucks um yeah. and you know i've seen false statistics about um suicide rates and uh suicide attempts which have turned out to be debunked being used by people that i know as a justification for not being in lockdown but we're not really seeing like really a critical examination of whether the whether the government's actually putting in place effective um, support for people who are struggling with their mental health. And, you mm -hmm. know, the solutions that are being proposed always seem very self-serving in that 
well, we just shouldn't be in lockdown anymore. You know, when there's not that kind of moderate approach to like, well, you know, we do need to be, you know, putting public health measures in place. And we also need to be addressing the fact that, um, you know, there is likely to be a massive surge in mental health crises and um, people alone and, and trying to put something in place that solves that problem without just um, abandoning public health measures. And so, yeah, it's really hard because it's like people are playing off genuine concerns and fears, but the solutions mm. that they're providing are really self-serving and kind of one-dimensional. Mm. And Yeah. Um, and there's no doubt that um, the toll on people's businesses, the economy, mental health, children's education, domestic violence, it's like these are serious harms. They're real harms. Mm. And people have got the right to dialogue about these issues but the one thought I've has in the back of my mind, I've gone, well, if we had the the death toll in America largely because of an organized disinformation campaign is 40 times higher than Australia per capita. Mm. Now, if we did the similar thing here and our death toll here was 40 times higher than it currently is, how sure can we really be that that would be good for the economy? And that that would be good for people's mental health and that that would be good for children's education and that that would be do anything at all to stop the scourge of domestic violence. Mm. You know, it's it's at the moment we can look around the world and go, well, has any government done it right? Every government has struggled and something that they thought was working then turned out to not be so great. So whether they've gone really hard on the lockdowns or whether they've had a really laissez-faire approach like Sweden, um, you know, Ireland started strong, Japan started strong, Singapore started strong. They've all been doing really well, but we're not through this yet. Personally, I'm relieved to be in Australia um, and New Zealand. I feel like we are quite lucky and quite privileged in the way that, um, you know, we've dealt with all of this. It's just like it's really, really hard on people, but this is a crisis, and sometimes I feel like we just kind of forget. This is a global crisis. This is really, really hard yards. But having a whole bunch of debts and a completely overrun, overtaxed health system is not going to help anybody. Mm. You know, it's not. we're not going to be better off if we just stop trying to manage the pandemic and stress and overtax our exhausted um, health workers and hospital systems even more than we've already done. Mm. Um, and so some of the reports that we're hearing from um, our friends and contacts in America is, is pretty concerning. I don't want to go there. I don't, I don't want that to happen to Australia or New Zealand. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, you know, and I think everybody would probably be feeling, you know, similar to me in the fact that like, okay, we don't want to discount people's concerns about mass vaccination and vaccine mandates. We don't want to, discount people's concerns about the um, terrible impacts of extended lockdowns. Um, But we're also concerned about, you know, overtaxing the hospital system. We're also concerned about the actual real toll of coronavirus um, disease and death. Um, So, you know, we're all in a really um, difficult situation where no matter how positive we try to be in our thinking and our outlook, we are stressed. Okay, anxiety is affecting us because it's not just COVID. We're all so mindful that 
the you know climate change is really starting to bite now and so i would just say um i'm really cranky and annoyed at deliberate disinformation and the weaponization of these issues but i have a whole big huge heart of sympathy and empathy for everybody who is sick of this and really struggling and really hurting and really suffering yeah I hope that nothing that I've said is is going to hurt or alienate anybody, but that's definitely a possibility. Um, I just want to say that, you know, I really do care that you're hurting. Um, I know that these are really, really difficult and trying times. And, um, you know, in my heart, I don't want to uh, offend you or alienate you by telling you that everything that you think and believe is wrong. I just wanted to say, this is what I've noticed. This is what I've observed. This is what I'm concerned about. And um, I care about you and I'm here to listen, even if you don't agree with me. Mm. Thank you, Julie. Well, um, we might wrap things up there, but if there's anybody who has made it to the end of the episode and is really keen to find out um, more about you, I know you've got a blog. Would you be happy to share that or is there is there a way that you're happy for people to follow along with um yes journey at all? Um, yeah if you're interested in the way that I've like put together all of these pieces and examining all of these different aspects um my blog is called it is for freedom dot blogspot.com and um yeah, yeah very I'll welcome to see my thoughts there and um and then also just um provide your own comments as well yeah great i'll pop the link to all of that in the show notes and um and people can find out more if they'd like and yeah thank you so much julie as always it was fascinating to chat with you and really lovely yeah yeah thank you so much indy i really appreciate your heart and your your clarity in these issues and you've been a huge inspiration to me too Mm. (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening today Um, And well done for making it to the end of this episode. It got quite long. Uh, You can find Julie on Instagram at blissful.herbs and her blog for the topics we've been discussing today is It's For Freedom. And you can find a link to that in the show notes as well. I'll be back on Monday with another birth story episode. See you then.